The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is a show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, early stage, and all small businesses, and is heard right around the world. This program is actually the one-year anniversary of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and we're very excited about commencing our second year. In the past 12 months, we've interviewed around 100 of the world's leading CEOs, celebrities, and people from all forms of sport and entertainment. There's been some two dozen New York Times best-selling authors, all of whom have contributed a great deal of knowledge to me, and I hope to all of you that are listening. In the last 12 months, we've also broadcast the show from Hong Kong, from Basel in Germany, from Sydney, and from the Great Barrier Reef. So it's been, it's been a great year. I've loved every minute of it. And I'm looking forward to beginning my second year next week. This week's been a double celebration for me, the one-year anniversary of the radio show, and my son Hunter's 21st birthday, which we've been celebrating for the last few days in grand style in Washington, D.C. So um, we've had a great time. He's a student at, at GW and an entrepreneur. And uh, we had some great chats with a bunch of really intelligent entrepreneurial students, and uh, it was um, it was a good time. Now, if your business life's been good to you, and you've enjoyed some success, I ask you to embrace entrepreneurship. Do whatever you can to mentor new businesses, and if you're not able to help fund startup businesses, well, give them whatever help you can in the way of advice, introducing them to people, whatever you can do. And if you are in a position where you've got some disposable dollars that you don't mind losing, but you'd like to um, to win with, startups are a great way to make a lot of money. Do your due diligence, do your homework, make sure it's sound, and then give them as much help as you can. And it will pay tremendous dividends. It pays it emotionally, and it can also pay you very well financially. And by doing this, 
you know, we can all play our part in kick-starting the economic recovery and building high-paying, high-skilled jobs that are suitable for the 21st century. And one of the most frequent questions we get asked, both here at the Voice America Network and also at Market Force One, which is my company, is how to attract investors to an early stage or startup company. You know, most startup companies, they um, exhaust the money that they can get from friends and family. And, um, and that's the first route you should take. Try and get as much money from friends and family as you can because it's the cheapest money. And uh, then when it becomes very successful, they share the rewards. But once you've got to a stage where you've used friends and family's money to ha- so that you have something to show an investor, then you should start talking to angel investors. And they can help you then build that company from its early growth stage to the point where perhaps institutional investors and venture firms will be interested in having a look at what you've got. Now, angel investors, well, they vary. But there's a hell of a lot of them out there just waiting for the right proposal. And typically, they have a high net worth and they dedicate a portion of their disposable funds to helping entrepreneurial companies. They've usually got a wide portfolio, and they put a proportion of that into entrepreneurial companies. Now, they differ from venture capitalists in they usually, they usually fund smaller amounts, you know, 25000 50000 100000 even up to a million dollars. And they usually have much less stringent guidelines than do... Uh, the um, venture capital firms. But that doesn't mean that they throw money at every idea or pitch that crosses their desk. You know, I receive about a dozen pitches a day from entrepreneurs and early-stage companies seeking funding, and in about 90% of these, like 11 out of 12 every day, the information they send me is woefully inadequate for me or anyone else to make a decision to fund them. So in order to make a decision to fund the project, you need to know what the project is. Have the market for the project clearly defined. Give specific details on how you plan to penetrate the market. How do you plan to go out there and get that business? Details on all the potential competition. You know, where your advantages are where their advantages are, the quality and the experience of your management and your exit strategy, very important, the exit strategy. And they're just a few of the elements that should be spelled out. Um, I and a number of my friends who are in the venture capital, venture capital business have about 14 things that we want to know about in detail. We don't want pages and pages of waffle about, hey, you know, some great history. We want to know precisely and concisely what you're doing, how you're going to go about it, how you're going to capture the market, and who you're competing against. Now, in your initial presentation, you've got to convey in a really positive, enthusiastic manner the opportunity that you have, but from the investor's perspective, not from yours. 
you need to detail why you need the funding, how you're going to use those funds, and how far this amount, you know, that you're after, that you're asking the investor for, is going to take you. Where is that going to leave you? And it's critical that you state clearly how far a certain amount of funding can advance your business, particularly if you're not generating any revenue. Be enthusiastic and positive, but be prepared to defend your reasoning because you will get tackled and you will get challenged. And don't bog down your presentation with a whole bunch of boring financial information. Just give the summary. The angel or the institutional investor or whatever, whoever it is, will look more deeply into the funding as if they like what they see. So develop a quick-hitting financial model that addresses budgeting and costs in a very succinct manner. If you lack experience with financial modelling, then bring in an expert because it's critical. It's all about making money. In my view, the initial presentation should just be four or five pages. If the investor's interested, like if I'm interested, then... I'll ask you for more and you should follow up with a much more detailed presentation. But again, from my perspective or the investor's perspective, not from yours. And as the investor gets more interested, they'll ask for more detail, most likely a full business plan, and then they'll probably want to meet you. Secondly, you should seek out regional business development. hotbed for angel investors, as well as for early stage entrepreneurs. Working with a business incubator can provide you with experts in your field, and they can mentor you and collaborate with you, and you can develop a crucial network of contacts that may lead to both work and also to angel investment. It's also worthwhile looking for angels who specialise in your field. You know, many angel investors belong to groups that have a, a history of investing in healthcare or in technology or in transport or in all sorts of things. And researching their past investments can help you find what they're looking for and how to best approach them. So keep in mind that many angels are also former entrepreneurs who once stood exactly where you do. Ultimately, they may not provide you with funding, but they're going to give you a hell of a lot of good advice from their experience. The final quick tip I'll give you today is to never give up. You know, I often get letters from people who say, or emails from people who say, I've pitched 20 times and I'm getting nowhere and, you know... And I often think of Walt Disney. Now, Walt Disney went to 246 banks before one was interested in providing him funds for Disneyland. 246 knockbacks, well, 245 knockbacks before he got his yes. And I receive emails all the time from people who've made four presentations and they're about to give up or they've made 20 presentations. You've got to expect that. There are literally millions of opportunities out there for investors, so you just simply have to keep trying until you find somebody and you hit their hot button. The more meetings you have, the more questions you're asked, 
the more you're challenged, the more you can hone that business plan in your presentation. I know a lot of people after they've had four or five meetings with um, with potential investors have come up with a totally different product because they've realized either there's somebody else out there or that they need to change what they're uh, presenting. So every knockback brings you closer to success. Remember, you're miles ahead of other entrepreneurs in the funding queue when you've generated a paying customer base. You know, you compare somebody who's actually made a sale, generated some money, compared with somebody who's just got a good idea, then you're way in front. And investors like companies that um, have had some revenue. So if you're anything like me, just changing the subject, you get bombarded with emails. I average about 400 emails a day, 300 of which, despite all the firewalls and stuff, are just absolute crap. And I saw some research during the week that showed that those who access emails constantly throughout the day have far lower productivity than those who don't. Trying to keep up with your emails is a constant struggle for nearly all of us. Now, if you want to increase your productivity and maintain your sanity, instead of checking your emails constantly during the day from you know all the different devices that you have, try scheduling specific times to process what's in your inbox. You're most effective and efficient when you answer messages in bulk at your computer. You can more easily access files and paste links quickly via a desktop or a laptop. So when you take your messages inbox, you know, you're more focused and you waste no time transitioning from one activity to another. So if you if you access your emails just three times a day in 30-minute increments, once in the morning, once at midday, and once late in the afternoon, you'll be astounded, trust me, at how much more effective and efficient you'll be. But if you want to be really anal about it, you know, use a timer. As soon as it beeps, stop, close your email program. And outside these designated times, unless it's something really urgent that you're expecting, don't access your inbox from any device. You know, you leave home, you've gone through your computer, you start looking at, at your emails on your on your iPad or your iPhone, and then, you know, every time you're at a meeting, you keep sneaking a look. It's so unproductive. There was another study from IBM during the week, which was great news for entrepreneurs and startups. Companies are changing dramatically due to globalization, technology, and changing attitudes and expectations of the workforce. This means that the skills and focus that you need to be successful are also changing. And that message came through loud and clear in a recent IBM survey of CEOs. The picture that emerges of successful companies today is one of a more collaborative, more open organisation company with a greater emphasis on risk and innovation. It's interesting that this is exactly the kind of environment that startups thrive in. So what are the successful companies doing right? Well, IBM identified a number of factors. Highly successful companies are more likely to be open, break into new industries, and in some cases, even invent entirely new industries. CEOs of these companies are extensively using or plan to use social media as the primary means of engaging customers. 
They want to understand their customers' needs better and be more responsive to them. Well, that makes sense, and that's what entrepreneurs do. And IBM found that the skills these highly successful companies wanted from their employees are collaboration, communication, creativity, and flexibility. These are the skills that drove company success and that also drove employee success. And as an entrepreneur or a small business owner, all of you listeners are probably doing many of these things already. And it's much easier for top people to lead by example. Now, don't forget, this program is all about you, the entrepreneur, the small business person. You know, you're listening to the show. You want tips. You want to know how to be more successful. And that's what we're here for. So if you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss or an email with a specific question you'd like answered, please don't hesitate to send me an email and we'll answer it on air or we'll email you directly. I'm Bob Pritchard. And I will talk with my guest, a great guy, Mike Southern, who um, has several successful books. Um, the Beer Mad Entrepreneur, for example, is a good friend of Richard Branson's, and we're talking to him in just a minute. Bob Pritchard, I'll be back in a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. 
This is the show for entrepreneurs, and it's the segment of the show where we interview people who have really made their mark on the world. You know, people that have done something really special and achieved great success, and particularly speaking to people who have something to do with entrepreneurs. My guest today is Mike Southern, a successful serial entrepreneur, a business mentor, a best-selling author, and a financial mail columnist in the Mail on Sunday in the United Kingdom. Now, what's pretty impressive is that Mike built and sold his own company in the 80s and worked with 17 different startups in the 90s. Now, two of these companies later went public, three went broke, but that means that 12 others were successful. And, you know, we talk on the show often about uh, how hard it is to get um, startups up, and Mike's got a very impressive record. He's a co-author of several best-selling business books, including The Beer Mat Entrepreneur and Sales on a Beer Mat. I guess Mike likes a drink. He's also a very experienced entrepreneur mentor, having provided face-to-face mentoring from over 1,000 business executives in the last 10 years. Now, on this program, I'm always urging successful people to get out there and support and invest in entrepreneurs because not only is it enormously rewarding personally, it's very rewarding financially if you help these companies become successful. Now, Mike's living proof of this is the Ambassador for the Federation of Small Business and Entrepreneurs in Residence for the City of Liverpool in the UK. He's also one of the most experienced business speaker in the world, speaking at a hundred events every year, obviously taking some of my work. And Mike focuses on explaining how to be enterprising, whether you're starting a new business or whether you work in a large organisation. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm extremely well, extremely well. I I had a quiet night last night, I'm pleased to say, so uh, hangover free this morning, I'm pleased to say. Oh, good, (laughs) good. How did you get started as an entrepreneur? Is that where you started, or did you start with a big company? Well, we kind of started in the pub, uh, you know, known as the beer mat entrepreneur, (laughs) or or as Australians or Americans might call it, the coaster entrepreneur. No, it was kind of a fluke. I was in a pub in my university town with a couple of friends that I'd been to the Edinburgh Fringe with, and at the time I was selling scaffolding rather unsuccessfully, and they said, no, you've got to get a job in London with these guys because we were freelancing for them because my friends were experts in the Unix operating system when it was quite rare back in the right. 80s yeah. and they were computer science lecturers and they used to uh, swan down to London and give courses and I, so I got a job with the company giving the courses then the three of us sat down again in the pub and we decided let's start a company for ourselves so we started in 84 a company called the Instruction Set which grew to 150 people in five years now at wow. the time I thought this was down to my fantastic selling skills I've since <laughs> learned kind of the hard way that it was uh, due to being at the right place at the right time. But anyway, we had a very successful company which we sold in the 80s and then, then I went off and played in a band for a while full time. It was great fun. And then yeah. I went back to the, the startups you mentioned with very mixed success, I have to say. Uh, you know, some went public, some went broke, some still, still carry on. It's a uh, you know, big learning experience in the 90s working with unsuccessful companies especially. And then, as you said, I've done a lot of mentoring in the last 10 years and you're absolutely right. I've learned probably more about entrepreneurship and mentoring people than I have out of anything else. That's why it's been so absolutely rewarding. Yeah, it is rewarding. Well, you know, it's very difficult. I I often sprout numbers on this show that um, out of every 3,700 patents, only one 
becomes commercially successful. Yeah, now, it's, uh, it's tough. And, and, and the biggest, I would say the biggest element for success for any entrepreneur is their ability to find and hang on to experienced mentors, plural, because you can get mentors absolutely. in all kinds of different areas. I agree. Um, so finding them and hanging on to them. And another definition that mentoring should always be free. I mean, you can pay for advice. Oh, I agree with that too. So that, that's, a, that's a consultant and you can measure that. And if you don't feel you're getting value for money, you can ask for your money back or you can buy more or whatever. Yep. But mentoring should be something that people like you or I do, you know, because you've got a bit of spare time. We've had a good week speaking, for example. That's that's my situation. I think your situation as well. You've got a spare hour. You're willing to have a coffee or a beer with somebody and just give them some really basic advice. And, it, it, and the advice, sometimes it's how to do stuff. Sometimes it's who to speak to. And uh, very occasionally it's the, the old moral compass, you know, the difference between right and wrong in business and how to be ethical and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure you do the same. People yep. from, you know, a bunch of kids with loads of good ideas to really quite experienced people going through quite a traumatic time thinking, should I sell my company? That's at the yeah. top end. And that's, that's, of course, very rewarding as well. Yeah. Well, I saw some statistics not long ago that said that 72% of companies um, that fail, startups that mm-hmm. fail, don't fail because they haven't got a bloody good idea. They fail because they don't have the experience in business to run a company. Because it's one thing to have a great idea. It's something mm-hmm. else to run a successful company. And Absolutely. so people like you and I that have done it, um, can give them advice that they really can't, you know, it's not intuitive to them and they can't, um, it, unless you go out and you read a hundred books of mine, um, then yeah, <laughs> you can't, um, you know, it's hard to pick up how to be a good businessman. Absolutely right. And we said at the beginning of our book, The Bear Man Entrepreneur, I mean, 10 years ago, we said that business is simple. Not that it isn't long hours and hard work sometimes, but it is simple things done well. And very much when you're mentoring, I'm sure you find this, yeah. it's just keeping them focused on the core stuff, keep it simple, do the basics, don't try to do too much too quickly and treat your customers well. And all, all really basic stuff which people just need to be around. All of us need reminding. I'm sure you and I need reminding now yeah, and then as well. Too. Me too. Now, many of the great ideas and designs and songs mm-hmm. have been scribbled on a napkin or a placemat or something. I, I know that a John Lennon um, song just sold recently for a million dollars or something and just ten words scribbled on a placemat. So is, is that the thought behind your successful book, The Beer Mat Entrepreneur? Or how did that whole beer mat thing come about? Well, it was literally, we were in a pub writing on a beer mat, or as, as you would call it, a coaster. And, and the key there, you're, you're right, it's a metaphor. It could be, you could be in a restaurant, it could be writing sure. on a napkin. But the key thing there is to get the idea done, but get the idea done quickly, and yeah. also simply. You don't write a whole business plan on a beer mat, obviously. Yeah. It's real simple stuff. And we, we say the three things <coughs> you, you should be putting on your beer mat is, first, your elevator pitch. I, I structure it a bit for them. What's Absolutely. the elevator pitch for your business? I'm sure you've been through this many times. Sure. Then, who's going to be your first mentor? Who's the first person you're going to... Let's call Bob Pritchard up and buy him a beer and ask him a question and, you know, get a bit of guidance. Maybe get him to introduce us to a few people. That's a, another good thing you can do. Absolutely. And then finally, who is going to be your first customer? Because I've met so many entrepreneurs who've got brilliant ideas, but they haven't really thought about who would buy this product or service. Because if you've got somebody who's willing to put their hand in their pocket, give you some money, even if it's a friend or a family friend or whatever, if they give you money for your product and you end up with a profit on the transaction, well, you're an entrepreneur. The rest is detail, frankly. And yeah, so many people fall at that hurdle. So there's, there's three things you ought to be thinking about. You know, how would you pitch your idea in 20 seconds in an elevator to somebody? Who's a good mentor to give you a bit of guidance? Some about yourself. And then who's, who are you going to ask for money from? You know, yeah. really quickly. Yeah. Because I, w- I was sitting here thinking, 
I can imagine that you're sitting in a pub, you've had a few beers, and you sit yep. down and you say, we're going to start a business, we're going to think of a name, and you mm-hmm. go for half an hour and a couple more beers, and you can't think of a name, so you say, bugger it, we'll call it the Beer Mad Entrepreneur. Absolutely. <laughs> well, strange enough, that's how the, the book came about. Chris and I were going to call it... Um, uh, Chris West, Michael Wolf and I, we're going to call it something like From Acorns to Oaks, which is actually another, another very good book here in England. Yeah. And we're in a pub garden in Cambridge. A very good friend of ours, Bill Thompson, said, oh, that's a rubbish name. No. So what's happening in the book? We said, well, the guys go down the pub and they write on a beer mat. And Bill just said, why don't you call it The Beer Mat Entrepreneur? And Chris and I both looked at each other and thought, well, there's a million-dollar comment. We've been trying to give him money ever since, but he's a lovely guy and he won't yeah, accept it. So the best ideas happen in the pub. Though I do say, um, you know, you write your ideas in the pub and then always look at the beer mat in the morning when you're so you know, because you may cross off a few of the things you wrote down when you'd had a few. Most of them. Um, You've said that uh, you think the Beatles are the UK's most expensive, successful entrepreneurs. Why is that? You're you're obviously from Liverpool since you're so connected to Liverpool with the um, uh, mentoring. So, well, I'm actually not from Liverpool. Oh, I've kind of been okay. adopted by the city. Now, I've always been a huge Beatles fan. Yeah, me too. And, you know, I play in bands and this, that and the other. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I hit the speaking circuit when our book came out about 10 years ago. And I was talking about, you know, my experiences and beer mats and pubs and so on. And then I was out in the Far East with a good friend of mine, Roger Hamilton. And I had like 10 minutes to do at the end of a conference. I thought, I'll do something a bit different just for fun. So basically, I did the bit, of, bit at the end of Abbey Road called The End, yep. where, I, where I mimed the Beatles. And everybody stood up and clapped for 10 minutes. I thought, maybe onto something. Then I suddenly realized that uh, the the Beatles are, you know, they were entrepreneurs. They weren't working for anybody. You know, they had a, they're brilliant guys, had a great idea, which is American music. Then they thought, hey, we can earn a couple of pounds doing this. Then, of course, they're quite good, so they can earn a lot of pounds, and then they have huge success, and it goes horribly wrong. So I used the Beatles as a metaphor for entrepreneurship, and that all led into my becoming entrepreneur in residence for the city, because I go around the world putting a, the Beatles in a business context, yeah. um, which is, um, you know, kind of different kind of flow to it. So, and it really resonates with Beatles fans. In fact, actually, I'm coming over to, uh, I can't really say a lot about this because it's a bit under wraps, but there's a great show called Backbeat, which is all about the Beatles in Hamburg. Yes. It's played here in London, and it's played uh, in various other places, but it's coming to Los Angeles. And I think I'm going to be doing some press-related stuff in January with some of my friends from Liverpool. I can't say too much. It's going to be really, really special just to support the show. Because I was with Carl Sider, who's the uh, producer of that, and another show called Dirty Dancing, which is doing very well here yep. in the UK. So, yep. so, so maybe, maybe, a little bit closer to you, maybe in Los Angeles in, in January, so I'll, I'll let you know about that. And if make you come sure over, that'd be great. Yeah, make mm. sure we can have a beer. Yeah, I'd love to have a beer in the theatre. So you'll meet some very special Beatle-related people. I can't say any more, otherwise right. I'll, be, I'll be in real trouble. But, uh, yeah, I'd say I'd, so that's my main keynote, something about the Beatles. So you can view it at two levels. One, it's a Beatles story, and everybody enjoys the Beatles' music. I play videos and so on. But underneath is how to be an entrepreneur, how the Beatles did it, how they had an elevator pitch, who their mentor was, who their first customer was, kind of following our model. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a fun chat. I, I spent a session with Ken Scott. Ken oh, Scott, right. And uh, he actually built, he brought um, a whole bunch of individual tracks. And he started, he started off with just the original vocal, this is what it's going to sound like. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then built the song over the course of about an hour and 15 minutes, just laying track over track over it. It was sensational. Absolutely. Um, now, you're regarded as an expert on Sir Richard Branson. 
And I am, yes. Uh, that, that kind of came, came about by accident. It all happened, actually, it's to do with Liverpool again, which is the city of Liverpool, we thought, well, let's see if we can win the Global Entrepreneurship Congress, which is a big, big event, which happens once a year. I think the year previously been in Dubai, next year it's in Rio. So, so I helped the bid team win that, you know, obviously yeah. by putting Sir Paul McCartney on the front of the bid document always helped. So then we thought, <laughs> wow, we've got this great conference coming. Kaufman Foundation uh, bring their conference for two days. But day one, you can do anything. So our idea was, let's get the BT Convention Center, which is a fantastic venue in Liverpool, just by the river there. And wouldn't it be great to get Sir Richard Branson? And then somebody said to me, well, if you can get Sir Richard Branson, then you can interview him on stage. So I set myself the task of doing that. Sp- spoke to people in Virgin Group. Yeah. And nine months later, though, I was in Liverpool. But in the meantime, um, they realized that you know, I knew how to interview him. So I did an event at his house, which is great. I did uh, the launch of the Branson Centre in Montego Bay in Jamaica, which is fabulous. Launch of his book in London. So by the time I got to Liverpool and then another event in London, um, I'd done all the research. I've got the videos. I've got you know, all the background yeah. material. So again, I can, put, I can tell the Richard Branson story you know, with its ups and downs. Let's be honest. I mean, sure. quite a few of his companies have gone under. Yeah, but I'm overall, good, he's, I think he's a very, that. very interesting man. And... Uh, yeah, he does all the good in the world as well. His Virgin Unite uh, Foundation is fantastic in the Branson Center. So it's kind of a Richard Branson story if you can't afford to Richard Branson. <laughs> now, is his... Um My next question was going to be, is his success rate in business as good as the image suggests? And I know he's had 247 companies or something, and most of them have gone broke. And I've travelled on Virgin Rail. Mm So, and I, it was very late the day I was travelling on it, but then that applies to every railway in the world. But, um, so, is there a, is there a big difference between the Richard Branson true success story and the image that is pumped out so very carefully day by day. Well, obviously the image is that he's a great entrepreneur, which he certainly is. And of course, part of that is you try stuff and some stuff doesn't work. I mean, the first time I interviewed him, I actually didn't discuss it with him. I was having a great interview. I said, but hang on, Sir Richard, you know, not all your your businesses have been a success. Talk about one that failed and, and why. I mean, he gave me a bit of an old-fashioned look. But then he went into a great story about Virgin Cola, about how he thought it was the best cola in the world. Everybody seemed to like it. But then Coca-Cola legitimately took him out of the market by discounting in supermarkets. And then he can tell the story of um, you know Virgin Airways, where he was able to fight back because he had a better quality product. He had customer loyalty. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing about him is it's very much gut feel. I mean, he hasn't invented anything. That's the thing that people kind of forget. He didn't invent the airline or the cola or whatever it is he's doing. He just makes he's going to make it better or provide specifically better customer experience. Now, whether he has or not on individual occasions is different, but that's what he sets out to do. Yeah. And he's just, you know, he's bought bits of a bank here in the UK. He's going to have, he's called Virgin Money. He's not even called a bank because he thinks the banks are discredited. He's going to do banks a better way. He may or may not succeed. And sometimes he has to just say to everybody, look, it's not working. Let's shut it down. Sure. Well done for trying. But his, the perception is he's willing to try stuff. And crucially, he's the people's friend. Now, not everybody gets him, but those who do, who like him, who like, like you know, what he does and what no, he stands for, yeah. you get the customer loyalty. So if your Virgin train is half an hour late, you forgive Richard, whereas another train operator, you might not. Yeah. Virgin, um, Virgin Cola was pretty brave because I was actually a consultant to Coke at the time that, ah. uh, that Sainsbury's took um, Coke off the shelves because Coke had had been smart with the um, with the football teams oh, and yeah. had taken the money from the, the local clubs and stuck it into um, into the FA. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was on a plane. Coke sent me on a plane to get to um, to get to England and to get Virgin Cola off the shelves, no matter what. Yeah, and, um, and so you know he, he he was pushing it uphill there because. Um, uh, Coke's got 
so much muscle and and they can just lean on everybody. Uh, we we constantly talk about um, mentoring and we mm-hmm. and we talk about it all the time in this program. We discussed it earlier. Mm-hmm. At what stage of a business do you think is mentoring the most important? Well, obviously, right at the beginning, because yep. you know you're, you're typically young, you haven't got any experience, and here's somebody sitting in front of you saying, "Look, here's what you do: A, B, C, D, E." Mm. Um, but I'm very um, conscious that you know older people, people. I get mentored myself all the time, especially with stuff like uh, speaking, which is what I do for a living. I mean, I'm a member of the Professional Speakers Association here. Yep. Uh, you know, it's similar to the NSA in America. Sure. And uh, I really enjoy it when fellow fellows of the Professional Speakers Association see me speak and say, Mike, you were rubbish. Of course, everybody else is applauding. That's the kind of mentoring you need when you think you're good at something and you're getting complacent or whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm huge on mentoring, and I get mentored all the time now, usually by people younger than me who are experts in particular areas. So if it's an area of speaking, it could be how to write gags or how to perform comedy or improvisation or, or we were just talking about our mutual friend John Briggs who's a you know, fantastic guy he's a voiceover artist it's yes. all about speaking clearly you know I'll get tips yes. from him every single day and that's what I call mentoring yeah well I I was um, I've been speaking for more years than I care to remember and uh, I had a meeting with my agent um, probably about three months ago and they said okay it's rubbish. You've got to mm-hmm. change the look of everything. You've got to change yep. the way you sound. You've got to change the way you look. And mm-hmm. I was I was devastated. You know, they said, you know, your old hat. You know, mm-hmm. people have been seeing this stuff for whatever amount of time. Total total um, revamp if you want to if you want to continue working. And um, you know, so you need that. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's much harder to change actually than <laughs> than you think. But uh, nevertheless, so. When you, um, what about uh, financing startups? Do you have anything to do with trying to help startups get funding, or do you talk to some of your peers to to see if you can pass the hat around? Do you do any of that sort of? Well, I try to keep out of that because I do so much mentoring, and I like to keep the mentoring separate, so people aren't. You know, I'm not looking at them thinking, you know, Mike thinks to invest. Obviously, I've got a really, really big network of the kind of people who like to invest in things, sure. especially angel investors. And of course, yeah, they really appreciate for me saying, you know, I've done a bit of mentoring. And of course, my mentoring really focuses around: do I think they can sell anything? So if I think, yeah, actually, or well, friend of mine, I said, buy one of those, see what you think. Yeah. Um, so I do a bit of mentoring in that respect, but I always say to entrepreneurs that. Um, a lot of people think, well, I've got to get funding before I get started. Now, this is not true, especially of a service. I mean, the company that I co-founded back in 84, on the first morning, I sold a course we hadn't written yet to somebody who liked us, got the money up front, and then hoped for the best of the course kind of thing. Yeah. And R- Richard Branson does that all the time. If you've got a service, you should be able to get some of the money up front. And, you yeah. should be, and the best way of funding a business, of course, is revenue. If you can get yeah. revenue, keep the revenue coming in. You know, you don't have to go to the banks, you don't have to go to the investors. And I have to say, when I was dealing with venture capitalists in, in those days, you know, it really wasn't a very pleasant experience for, for a lot of reasons. That's a whole different interview. No, so it's not. Yeah. The, the dream idea is that, yeah, sure, there, there are always people that know people who think I might be interested in investing. And I always yeah. say to angel investors, look, this is money you're going to lose. So assume you're going to lose it, then you won't be disappointed. You'll have fun, you'll do some good maybe if it's a social enterprise. So assume you're going to lose it, if you get something 
you know, that's an, that's an advantage. So it's not money you care about because with venture capitalists, they can be pretty brutal about getting their money back. True. So, so, you know, if you can fund it on revenue, that's the absolute best thing. Then you're not beholden to anybody. But plus, if you are going for funding, the best argument you can say to a potential funder is, I've got a great product or service, and here's one of my customers who not only has actually put their hand in their pocket, you know, when I was nobody. And paid for it, yeah. And paid for it. And they're saying, I'll tell you what, if you put, you know, half a million dollars into that company, I'll buy another 100,000 kind of thing because I'm a bit worried they can cope with this big order. So if you put some money in, yeah, I've got an order waiting. because there's A, B, C, D, E they've got to do and you know, there's always conditions and this, that and the other. But the strongest argument is your customer's argument saying, yep, do you know what, there's a lot of other people do what they do. I like them and I buy from them because they give me the quality, the support, the service, the whatever it is that, that, that makes them different and special. Hmm. But one of the things that I try to impress on um, uh, entrepreneurs is that there's one really simple reason why 100% of failures happen. Mm-hmm. That's because they don't get enough revenue. Yep. I, I mean, it's really simple. You can, you, there's a hundred other reasons, but the main reason is they're not getting in enough revenue to yep. build their business. And so... And, and, you know, I was marketing director for Kerry Packer, and one of the things we used to have to do every day is sit there and say, um, what did I do today that mm-hmm. made the company money? So at the end yeah. of the day, 6 o'clock at night, what did I do today that made – and you sit there and you think, gee, I got in at 7.30 and I've worked my butt off all day and I've been as busy as hell. Now, what did I do that actually made the company money? Well, um, yeah. uh, gee, I'm not really sure. <laughs> you know, And th- there's so much of that these days, you know, with with – Technology, the way it is, and the instant gratification that everybody's seeking. Um, there's too little focus on actually making a buck. Absolutely, no, th- th- those are very wise words, and I, I find myself saying that to people. You've got to ask for money, and again, a lot of entrepreneurs think, well, if I build a great website, everybody will come to my website and pay money. Well, they yeah. might. I hope so. I really hope so. But we've got to get out there and talk to people and sell. So nothing beats having somebody, a bit like yourself or myself, who's used to going to talking to people, saying, "Hey, why don't you try this out?" And you know. Give me some money. You need a salesperson on the case. Yeah, I think it's really difficult initially. I remember, you know, I'm not shy about asking for money now and I'm not shy about asking for money up front and I'm not Mm -hmm. shy about asking for a good lump of money. But um, when you first start, you know, you're very hesitant about asking for money. Sure. You underprice your value because Mm -hmm. you desperately want to get the money in. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's where a mentor can be an enormous help. Well, absolutely right, because I would say... um, the first sale is the hardest. After that, it gets easier because um, yeah. you've got a reference customer. You say, well, look, you know, check out what sure. so They've bought my stuff. So I always say sell to your friends first because, I mean, a friend is a broad term. It could be a good friend. So it's a sure. good start. Yeah, but, no, I understand. But people, people who knew you from an old company. And you're basically saying, look, Bob, I've got this thing. You know, I should probably charge people £20 for it. You know, I'll give it to you for 10 uh, But I want your honest answer because if it's rubbish, I need to know quickly because you're my mate. And you're thinking, yeah, all right, I'll give you a chance. And then you say, okay, right, so you've got that for 10, 10 pounds or $10. Yeah, be honest. On a scale of one to ten, one is I want my money back. Ten is I want to buy a hundred thousand. Now, yeah. everybody else I'll charge more money for. Actually, what do you think I ought to charge other people? You'll always get a deal, but of course you'll be my reference customer, so I can say, look, I've got a great whatever it is widget. Check with my friend Bob. He bought one, and then yeah. I'll, I'll go. I'll get the drinks in. I'll come back with an order form if you're happy. So, 
sell to your friends first and sell locally. You know, local is good. You know, it could be somebody doing brilliant, you know, sure. whatever it is up in Aberdeen or where it is miles away. But you're just around the corner. That's another good, good thing yeah, to say. I think that's and, right. and of course, services are easier to sell than products earlier, early on. Now, let me spend an hour looking at that for you. Let me spend a day working on that for you rather than I'll have a finished product for you. Well, I hope it's finished in, in six weeks time. There's investment. It might not work. So, so even if you've got the greatest widget in the world, you can sell a bit of widget consultancy first or let me understand your widget needs or study your widget, see why they're not working. So a little bit of services you can do just to get some scores on the boards. And I agree. Mike, thank you very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Show. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know how frenetic you are. A hundred speeches a year. Whee! Um, now, if you'd like to... And I look, make sure you call me when you come to Los Angeles. I'll, I will definitely be in touch about that because... Uh, whereabouts are you physically based, Bob? I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, perfect. Well, in which case, I'm definitely I'm getting you to whatever it is I can't talk about because it's a little bit secret. But you, you will, okay. if, you're, if you're a Beatles fan, you will I love am. it. And the show itself is fabulous. So I'll definitely get you some good seats for that. Uh, now, I've been, in, I've, I've been in, living in Los Angeles for 25 years. I still sound like an Australian, don't I? Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> what I was wondering. You're obviously in the Australian quarter of Los Angeles. <laughs> I, I, well, I don't know. I just, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, I think. There now, we go. If you'd like to find out more about Mike Southern or book him for your next presentation, you can contact him at Mike Southern, S-O-U-T-H-O-N dot com. That's M-I-K-E, Mike Southern, S-O-U-T-H-O-N dot com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. 
to the one-year anniversary of the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Show, coming to you this week from Washington, D.C., where I have been celebrating for the last few days with my son, Hunter, his 21st, and he's a business student at uh, George Washington and doing entrepreneurial subjects at um, Georgetown, and chip off the old block, I guess he's going to grow up to be an entrepreneur, so happy birthday, mate. Love you. Okay, back to the show. Now, the reason I love this email segment is because, and I've said this before, that it doesn't matter where you are in the world or what sort of business you have or whether you're big or whether you're small, everybody runs into the same problems. A plumber in Moscow has the same problems as a somebody who's got a store in Los Angeles, for example. And uh, so... All the emails we get and all the calls we get and all the people we talk to from around the world, um, they all have the same experiences. So the great thing about this segment is that the, an email from someone um, somewhere can apply equally as well to you. And my first email today is from Joshua Talbot from Lewisburg in West Virginia. And Joshua writes, Dear Bob, Your show is the best show for small business on the air. It is educational, and I learn a lot from your guests. Last week, I spoke – last week, you spoke about a number of apps that would assist you to do your business efficiently and effectively. You also asked if any listeners could add to your list. Bob, with the last presidential debate last night and being a news buff, I thought I'd mention a few of the news apps that I have on my iPhone – They keep me absolutely up to date with all the breaking news. So, Bob, here is my list. After a year of two years of this, um, it's getting a bit weary. And with the multitude of polls every day, I'm not sure that I want all these news apps. But here we go. Joshua suggests, firstly, the Associated Press mobile iPhone app, which is free. It includes a ton of news content, but it also syncs with your local news and weather. Another nifty feature is the push notifications for breaking news alerts. That's one of Joshua's favourites. The second one he likes is the New York Times app, which is also free and provides access to the Times reporting on a variety of topics. And you can save the news articles for up to seven days. And there's lots of sharing options via text Twitter or email. The third email that uh, Joshua recommends is a free app from NPR, which focuses on radio news, which are hourly newscast and access to popular NPR radio shows. NPR is one of my favourites. I I love NPR. They have a lot of great stuff on it, so that might be a good app for me. Now, Joshua says, if, like me, you get your news from a variety of different sources, the Fluent Newsreader is also free, and it's great. And this app compiles news and headlines from organisations like Fox News, the BBC, the Wall Street Journal, and USA Today. So it has some hard news, BBC, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today, coupled with absolute fantasy from Fox. Um so that's probably not a bad, a bad app. Um, 
And Joshua goes on to say that if you prefer video news, the CNN mobile app at $1.99 is terrific. CNN mobile provides breaking news alerts and local news and weather. And the final app that Joshua suggests we all get is the MSNBC news app, also free, which sends out breaking news alerts using push notifications. It includes material from the Today Show, NBC Nightly News and all other NBC News programming. Thanks, Bob, for the opportunity to get my favourite apps across to your listeners. Joshua, thank you. We'll send out a copy of my new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, out to you. It'll be out, go out to you tomorrow. Um, it's a book that I spent about seven or eight years writing, uh, which is a about 20-odd chapters, 22 chapters, of how to be successful. It goes through chapter by chapter all of the things you need to do and uh, how to do them. That's the most important thing if you want to be successful in business. And I'm sure that, uh, Joshua, not only will you find it helpful, but anybody else that goes out and buys it, you can also get the audio version um, from um, iTunes and um Apple and a number of others, so if you want the um, audio version, it's available. My second email today is from Catherine Dale from Madison, Wisconsin, who writes, Dear Bob, I just love your show and your book. They have both been a great help to my business, particularly my marketing of my company, which has improved immensely. My business has grown to a stage where I need to improve my image and have a logo developed for use in my advertising stationery and collateral. Do you have any advice as to how I should go about this? Well, funnily enough, Catherine, I do. Just for the exercise, think about this. Think about the logos for McDonald's, the Olympics, and for Apple. Now, everybody would say the golden arches, interlocking rings, and an apple. A chunk out of it. And you'd be right. But what is it? that all of these logos have in common? Well, they're simple, they're memorable, and they're really easily recognised. Catherine, you need to be able to say the same things about your logo. Um, Your logo is the public face of your business, so before you can commit to a logo that might, might not get across exactly the right message... There are a couple of things that, you know, you probably should consider. The first is that your logo must not be busy and confusing. Now, if your logo contains a design, your business name and your consumer purchasing benefit, unless they're strategically interwoven, you may be trying to get across a bit too much information. But I'm, I'm all for logos that do have a design, the business name and the consumer purchasing benefit, because if you can get that combination right, it's very powerful. And it does enhance recall considerably. It's also important, you know, when you think about these logos, that McDonald's, the Olympics and Apple have spent hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, to get their logo message across. And, you know, most of us simply don't have that luxury. And I think that talking about the Olympics, I mean, that's one of the great examples of a mess. 
many didn't know what to make of the um, abstract 2012. And so people assumed it was all sorts of stuff. So to avoid these problems, keep your logo simple, a simple font, simple message, simple everything. Show it to as many people as possible and get their feedback on what the logo conveys to them. What does it suggest? What's the image mean? And, you know, many logos are just plain boring. The Gap met with ferocious criticism in 2010 when it tried to change its, you know, the blue box logo to a more generic front with a font with a smaller box. They quickly reversed course and reinstated the old logo. But that was probably a pretty expensive lesson to learn. So in order to begin... Look at your competitor's logo and clearly differentiate yourself, but retaining the keep it clean and simple philosophy. And no matter what you do, under no circumstances, use clip art graphics. It's also critical that your logo appears professional. So it's worthwhile getting it done professionally and not having your friends or family create it. Catherine, thanks for your email. I hope my answers have some benefit to you. Copy of Marketing Magic, a book I wrote a couple of years ago with Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson, Robert Bly, and a bunch of others, is on its way out to you. It's a very interesting read. I read it frequently and love it. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website, bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send in your questions, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com, and follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+. I appreciate you listening to my anniversary show, 12 months of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and next week we'll start on the next 12 months, and I look forward to it. So thank you very much for listening. Until the same time next week, have a fantastic and successful week, and go out and kick some butt. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.